abortion care is a conversation that has been oversimplified. It's almost as if the topic, it's what's being debated as opposed to the lives and stories of the women who are considering abortion care are centered. So it's like, y'all just want to be going back and forth when this is not a one size fits all conversation. Welcome to Sanctified. Join this congregation weekly where hot girls and holiness reside. Where nothing is taboo and revelation is more than the Bible's last book. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, and a lover. And I'm learning to live this life without fear or shame in abundance the way God intended. And I'm LaVon Briggs. I'm a Queens girl, a joy chaser. I'm a daughter of the church and the diaspora. And I'm a black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. You ready, LaVon? I'm ready, sis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sanctify. Before today's amazing episode, we want to begin with just a content warning. We will be discussing abortion care and child sexual abuse on this episode. So take care of yourself, most importantly. Mm-hmm. We got some church announcements to live on. Listen, the usher is in the pulpit. She got on her doily. She waving her paper in the air. She giving God glory because this church announcements time. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, we are so grateful for all of the love you've been showing Sanctified. It is mind-blowing, it's affirming, and it just makes us feel good that y'all are co-creating this gorgeous Sanctified community with us. So we need you to do a few things. Number one, hit the follow button so that you're notified of all of the wonderful things we are doing over here at Sanctified. Number two, don't forget to rate us on the Spotify app. Tap the star and give us five of them things. Not two, not three, not four. No, you got to tell people what to do. (laughs) Okay, give us five. (laughs) Thank you. And make sure you tap the bell so that you're notified as soon as a new episode is released. So all these things, just do them real quick and stay with us here at Sanctified. Now I think it's time to get the service popping. Let's get into today's episode. Deep cleansing breath, beloved. (laughs) So today's topic, as we offered earlier, is a tender one. And here's the thing. We would not truly be sanctified if we didn't make space for conversations about our reproductive health and abortion care. One thing that you'll notice about many of our episodes is that they are not to one another because so much of our theology and our spirituality is very intertwined. Mm -hmm. And so thinking back to our first episode on purity culture. Purity culture is a scam. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's very much so just the choices that we're, we're given or not given the things that we're taught about our bodies what's okay and not okay about them or Mm -hmm. how we need to dress them in order to look the way you think a young Christian girl should look to the choices we make with our bodies and what we want to do with them. And essentially getting to having sex, not having sex, deciding to want to be a mom or 
maybe I don't want to be a mom or mm-hmm. maybe the timing is not right for this pregnancy or maybe it is, but there's complications and so many choices Yeah, that we should be able to make with support, not condemnation, not your disgrace, not your disappointment. Exactly. Yeah. Purity culture is so condemning. And the thing is, rather than encourage us to learn and to ask questions, it's silencing and repressive. And education about sex is so important because we're in these beautiful body temples and we just don't always know how they work. (laughs) Like God made our bodies and God knows how our bodies work. But I, for a long time, DJ, didn't know how my body worked. (laughs) Look, same. And it's interesting to me because I think that we grew up differently, but I think it's a generational thing. The older generation wasn't given all of the necessary information. So they kind of just gave us what they had but not realizing that we were still short some very crucial information. <laughs> like, <laughs> when, when you going to get pregnant? When can you get pregnant? There is a time. And I did not know this. I thought, I don't want to get pregnant, so you have to be on birth control. But birth control and not knowing when you get pregnant, it's just like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? It was just like, every day, is a day to get pregnant. Okay, never mind ovulation. But we didn't have words like that. School didn't teach us. They might show us pictures of what someone who's living with an STD might look like. School didn't help us. The church did even worse. I have heard so many terrible stories about people being in youth ministry and the youth pastor hands out a glass of water and they chew up some Oreo cookies and spit it into the water. And then they expect the last person to drink it. And the person's like, ew, I'm not drinking that water. And the youth pastor's like, well, that's what it's like when you have sex before marriage. You're the dirty water. Like that is not education. That's not education. I didn't grow up with that, but that's very interesting. It's a shameful tactic. And I don't like the word tactic because it really like conjures war. But that's how it felt to be in a religious space where instead of having safe, sacred, compassionate conversations about our bodies and sex and sexuality, we were just tormented with shame. And the thing is, DJ, shame doesn't come from God. Shame comes from people. I think it's a, the more you know. And while some places teach it in a shameful way, I think there are places that just don't know what to offer. Things like your right to choose It's a very male dominant place, the black church. Mm -hmm. And so to have people in leadership talking about things that they will never understand, things that will never apply to them, they're going to miss a lot of knowledge there. They're going to miss a lot of understanding. And we can say, hey, look, y'all don't understand anything about this. So why don't we? let you know how you can support us in learning about our bodies, navigating this journey of making the choices that we need to make for ourselves. 
You're absolutely right, DJ, because the fact of the matter is sometimes on social media, I see these videos of men being interviewed about what happens to women's bodies on our cycles, or I've heard white male politicians say some really just medically incorrect things (laughs) about our body. So it just goes to show they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So they need to learn just like we need to learn. And As we are on this journey of unlearning and relearning, we have to really interrogate what we were taught about our bodies and sex and sexuality. So for you, DJ, what were you taught about abortion care and or bodily autonomy? Just, you know, that abortion is wrong. Hmm. And we I I didn't get a lot of lingering there. We, We didn't talk about that a lot. And so just as an adult, I just figured it's wrong, but I didn't really fully understand. And this is why I've said this before. uh, People have such strong opinions about things, Mm -hmm. but then they start living and life will life baby. And you will find yourself in positions where you're like, Ooh, before I didn't know anything about this. And I was telling everybody you need to do this, 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 and this. And if you don't, you wrong. And then you find yourself in a position in life where you're like, I have to make this choice. Um, and you learn, you learn grace, you learn love, you learn mercy. And I didn't walk around condemning abortion. I, I didn't really have any thoughts other than I was told it's wrong. And then when I got pregnant with my son, the doctor immediately after saying, oh, there's a very strong heartbeat. You're six weeks, very strong heartbeat. Also, you have a 22 centimeter fibroid. There's no space for this child. I think we should get rid of it. Mm. And I think that we should then take out your fibroids and then start over. And, you know, she said, that's just my initial opinion. We will call the high risk doctor, see what they think. And I was shocked to my core because I'm like, wait, so when she says get rid of it, I looked at Terrence, I was like, does she mean abortion? Is that, that's wrong. I just, wait, what is the other option? And Terrence, I think could see that I was just visibly shaken. And he was like, here, here are my questions. If we proceed, what could happen to her? Is there anything that could happen to her? Mm-hmm. And when the doctor said, well, no, she'll she'll physically be okay. She'll be in a lot of pain, but she'll be okay. And he was like, okay, well, you know, this is your choice. He said, I don't want you to be in pain. I also want you to know that I'm here. Whatever we need to do, we're going to do. And hearing him say that took the automatic shame that I felt of even thinking, do I have to have this abortion? Mm -hmm. Knowing that he supported me, knowing that he's like, whatever we need to do, we're going to do. Because the way the doctor described so much of my situation to me and how well, if you don't do it, you're going to be in a lot of pain. You'll probably have a miscarriage. If you don't have a miscarriage by 18 weeks, then the baby's not going to have space to grow. Like all of these downfalls. And I fully I had to leave the very next day to go shoot a movie. And I fully expected to come back home saying I miscarried mm. because it just did not seem like the best circumstances 
for a child to actually grow and thrive. But that's life. Right. That's life. You know, it, it things don't always come in the package we want it to or assume that it should. And that's, I think, where we find our trust and our faith grows in God. That was my biggest leap of faith was just like, whoo, Jesus, okay. All right, you're on. Right. With or without this baby, I need you to surround me with your peace, your grace, your mercy. And so if we think about how do we do better? Terrence has taught me in so many ways, but in that moment, how do we do better? By surrounding people with God's grace and love and joy. People are are making life decisions. They don't need you to condemn them. They don't need you to tell them they're wrong or to bring shame. We have to release the shame. How do we do better? By what you just modeled for us. I am certain that there are listeners who have had to have that very same conversation with their boyfriends, fiancés, husbands, partners. I know there are people in my life who had to have the conversation where it was literally a matter of life or death and they had to choose the abortion care. And so it's really important that we know we are not alone when we're sharing these kinds of stories. What that also means is you can't just tell everybody your story. We learn real quick who we can trust with our truth and who has the strength and the wisdom and the love, compassion, and capacity to hold us. And those who just get the um, saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, which is really a shame because then you don't get the opportunity to be your full authentic self. But when you do find that space, yeah. Mm, like here is sanctified, right? Yeah. Where we're free and we're met with love. That is life changing. And that helps us to take off this heavy cloak of shame. Mm -hmm. And you say you don't get the opportunity to be your full authentic self. I also think that you don't get the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If that's what we're claiming to be, if we are claiming to be representatives of Christ, we don't get to be that. Right. We don't get to spread that love, that joy. Like, where is the love? Right. What else are we doing this for? We've gone through too much in life as a people. It's time to find those spaces and create those spaces where people can come unashamed and, and get the love and care that they need. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. We wouldn't have had Jesus if we didn't have Mary. Amen. Hello, somebody. Jesus came to the earth in a very particular package, and he came through the womb of a black girl. Therefore, reproductive health is a theological issue. Now, of course, for black women, it's also a political issue. And I think that's why it's so polarizing. In addition to being a theological and a political issue, it's also a public health issue. It affects the collective, whether it's access, education, or lack of education, <laughs> as we noted earlier, it affects everyone. And so when we're thinking about theology, which also means God talk, we get to shift to a justice-centered theology. When I think about Jesus 
I think about justice and there are some Christian spaces that will talk more about Jesus's death and suffering than Jesus's life and liberation. And when I think about Jesus coming through the body of Mary, who contrary to historical portrayal and depictions was not a 40 year old white woman. Okay. Sorry to these Catholics. She was a 13-year-old Black girl. And when that angel came to that teenager and said, this is God's plan for you, how you feel about that? There's a beautiful part of scripture that we call the Magnificat. It's in Luke chapter 2. And Mary says, let it be unto me. Mary consents to carrying Jesus to term. Consent is intertwined with reproductive health and pregnancy. Whew, you dropped a bomb. Those words, let it be unto me, that truly is consent because the Lord says, I will not, but you open the door. Right. You make the choice, Jesus makes the change. And I think, at least to me, I think that the conversation has been as if this is a very sort of haphazard, flippant decision that women make or have had to make. And I think that it is very different than that. Mm -hmm. Abortion care is a conversation that has been oversimplified. It's almost as if the topic, it's what's being debated as opposed to the lives and stories of the women who are considering abortion care are centered. So it's like, y'all just want to be going back and forth when this is not a one size fits all conversation. None of us know what it's like to be in anyone else's shoes. So we have to have more holistic conversations about abortion care beyond just evil, good, sinful, righteous, that oversimplifies it. It requires, number one, maybe some leaders taking a step back and recognizing, I don't understand enough about this to be giving you a either or. I need to understand how to support rather than to tell you what to do. Because like we said, if the leadership is mostly male, you have no idea what we are going through, what we may need, the sort of nuanced thoughtfulness that has to go into what this journey will be like for us. Girl, there are a lot of people who are allergic to nuance. That's how it feels (laughs) whenever we try to broach these really tender conversations because nuance means levels, means being able to see things from all different vantage points along a spectrum. Like, There are women in different situations that would require abortion care. I think people are focused on what's going to happen to the woman after she has an abortion. There are so many people who assume that she's going to be depressed and going to have issues on an ongoing basis. And that's one of the biggest myths and misconceptions. In fact, Social psychologist Brenda Major has been doing decades of research, and it's shown that the vast majority of women who have abortion care feel like they made the right choice for them and don't experience regret. 
And I feel like people try to force regret onto women who receive abortion care. And it's like, mm, let the woman feel how she feels. Does it make you uncomfortable that she's not experiencing regret? I think that's mostly the people that life has not yet lifed for them. You know, child, I have seen gospel celebrities, mega church pastors, you name it, preach against one thing. And then years later, that thing they were preaching against manifests in their own life. And the very next sermon is about God's grace, (laughs) is about compassion and understanding. It's amazing. And I think that it's very much so stemmed in well, this is just what you have to preach. And then you start living and you're like, but wait a minute, how am I struggling with this? Because you are human. Well, that's the thing. Not everybody sees women as humans. It's a really tragic inheritance of some Christian teachings to diminish the feminine image, to demonize women, to try to take away our agency and our power and to disenfranchise us. Because at the end of the day, if men were the ones to carry in pregnancy, this abortion care conversation would be going totally differently, Mm -hmm. right? So I wonder what would the abortion care conversation look like if men were the ones to carry? Would we still be defunding systems that support children like SNAP and public school funding and home vouchers? Would we be caught up in the histrionic hypotheticals about possible situations that could or could not warrant an abortion? I think we would be dealing with reality. And that's what women are asking men and family and church and society, just asking the world to face and name and identify our realities. And then listen to us about our realities and walk alongside us and love us just as God does in those realities. Absolutely. Support us on this journey. And I'm not only happy, but I am honored that I get to support you today as our testifier. And I'm proud of the courage that you have shown and continue to show to really sit and tell your story Mm. without shame, without remorse, but rooted in truth, authenticity, and love. Mm. So today, (laughs) my amazing co-host, who is also a minister, Emmy Award winner, author of the forthcoming book, Sensual Faith, The Art of Coming Home to Your Body. LaVon Briggs has a deeply personal and beautiful testimony to share. So let's listen. My name is LaVon Briggs, and this is my testimony. The summer of 2000, I went to a high school graduation party and there was this guy there with the DJ. He came up to me, was like, you know, you're the baddest bitch in here. I was like, I know, 17-year-old LaVon child. I didn't know at the time that he was 28. So he gave me his beeper number and told me to page him when I turned 18, which was a few weeks out. I ended up paging him and I remember when we were having sex and he was like, have my baby. (laughs) 
I agreed to it because this man made me feel loved. When it really came time to think about what it would mean to be a mother at 18, I panicked. How am I going to provide for this child? I told my parents and there was a lot of yelling and disappointment. My mom ended up taking me to the OBGYN that the family knew. And I remember the morning of my then boyfriend calling me and saying, don't go through with it. And so I ended up having my first abortion that day. After that procedure, my family never talked about it again, but I'm still with this same partner. So 14 months later in the same predicament, and this time I was too embarrassed to tell my parents about it. I'm 19, and again, I felt unprepared to be a fit mother. So I ended up applying for Medicaid so that I could get health insurance to fund a safe procedure. So when I was in seminary, I was studying theology and human sexuality, having had two abortions back to back and wanting to please God, I decided celibacy was the route that I needed to take. But as my theology expanded, celibacy as a default became insufficient for me. Over time, I embraced sex as a natural, healthy, holy, consensual, ethical, pleasurable experience with my partners. So when I met this one particular partner, we didn't have sex for the first year of our relationship. And then the first time that we have sex, I get pregnant. And the then love of my life, the man that I could see myself marrying, told me that he didn't want to be a father. And my heart instantly deflated because I knew that the best decision for me would be to terminate that pregnancy because I did not want to bring a child into the world and struggle financially. And it was heartbreaking. My first pregnancy that I wanted to carry to term unfortunately ended in a miscarriage, the first thing that I thought was, oh, God must be punishing me because I've had abortions. And thankfully, my pastor, Reverend Dr. Maisha Handy, came to my home, sat with me, blessed me with five crystals, one for every week that I was pregnant. And she sat in my grief with me and she saw me. And I wasn't a case number. I wasn't a procedure. I was her daughter. I'm not crying because I had an abortion. I'm crying because my pastor showed me that I was more than my abortion, that she wouldn't shun me or shame me or make me feel like anything less than God. And her exact words to me were, God would not punish you for honoring the fact that you couldn't be the best mother you could be at that time. That was all that I needed to hear to stop trying to have some reasoning about why this miscarriage happened. I don't regret my decision to receive abortion care. I regret the fact that I had to make the decision in the first place. I am eternally grateful that I get to share my story because I want other sisters to feel seen and supported. My name is LaVon Briggs, and that is my testimony. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, LaVon. We will be right back with the fellowship after this. Ooh, child. Child. Every 
everybody, let's just everybody take a deep cleansing breath. Big inhale in. Hold it and exhale audibly out of your mouth. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I really appreciate you offering your story for this episode. I think for a lot of people, not people that are deeply in church or out of church, I think just people in life, this is a very hard topic to discuss. And so thank you for modeling how we can talk about it without shame yeah, and without guilt, but full of understanding and compassion. So I want to start with how was sex discussed in your house when you were a child? We didn't really talk about sex, but I do remember one time when I was eight years old, we were watching The Simpsons as our family was wont to do. And I'm sitting cross-legged on this black and cream rug at home and the Simpsons episode comes to an end. And so the screen darkens and the credits start to roll, but you can hear Homer and Marge making these kissing sounds. And so I was like, ew, that's gross. And my mom was like, what's gross? And I was like, they're about to do it. (laughs) She was like, do it. What's it? And I was like, it. This woman wanted me to say the word sex so bad and I just couldn't do it. She was like, LaVon, say it. It got to the point where I started crying. We moved from the living room to the bathroom. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. She's like, say it. All you have to do is say it. And I was like, after 30 minutes, girl, I was like, sex. She was like, what was that? I was like, sex. And she was like, okay, wash your face and go to sleep. So (laughs) my mom wanted me to be comfortable with the word sex, but didn't talk to me about sex. And I think the most delicate part of that situation is that even though that was my first conversation regarding sex with a parent, it wasn't my first experience of sex. Like, sadly, I was living through childhood sexual abuse. And so I had been experiencing sexual acts even before I had a conversation about what sex is or was with any adult. So it was very muddied for me as a child. Did that change sort of your thought on sex as you got older? Oh, absolutely. I felt scared of my body, of boys' bodies, of men's bodies. I thought that I was wrong or bad or damaged goods. Like it really did a number on me. And even the physical part, I remember being in a relationship actually with the partner I testified about where we had two abortions. He went to touch me lovingly on my thigh and I flinched. And he was kind of looked at me like what happened? But it was, you know, what I now know is PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder showing up in my body. So it definitely was a healing process that I had to unfold to over time. You are remarkable, LaVon, as I hear you speak, even about the trauma. You understand who you are, regardless of what someone tried to do. Absolutely. They could not take this beauty inside of you. Thank you, DJ. You're remarkable. I want to know, because faith is a journey. It's a process. Right. But through it in church and divinity school, the things that you were taught about abortion, how has that shifted over the years? 
actually, when I was a student at Yale Divinity School, I partnered with a classmate who was a white woman feminist. We started hosting conversations about theology and reproductive justice. Now, reproductive justice is a term as defined by Sister Song. It's the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. And it was really important for me to have that conversation, particularly as I was preparing to serve a Black congregation, because the Black community reveres motherhood so much, but our theology doesn't always support every expression of motherhood or every expression of not choosing motherhood. And so for me, it really came down to Micah 6 and 8, right? How do we put, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God into practice? And I also got to see other Black women really living out a powerful call of a justice-centered theology and ministry. I'm thinking of one Yale Divinity School classmate who, when she was an undergrad, she would go with her female classmates who were receiving abortion care so they weren't alone physically, spiritually, emotionally. And so I got to see that lived out, not just having conversations, but embodied praxis. And that really changed my life. <laughs> well, because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Say that. From the outside looking in, I feel like <laughs> some of your major superpowers are the vulnerability that you show, it's the way that you show up mm -hmm. for your sisters. It is your honesty. How did you come to that point to even have the courage to talk in a comfortable way about your abortions in, in public? You know, there's no such thing as a taboo topic. The word taboo does not exist in my lexicon. And I really do think that is a spiritual gift. When I was a little girl and my mom and I would take the subway train from Queens to Manhattan so she could go to work and I could go to preschool, she would always ask me questions. She would always ask me what else. And we talking like 630 in the morning with these other subway riders looking at her like, man, please shut this child up. And so I feel like because she was raised in a Caribbean culture that said children are to be seen and not heard, she wanted the exact opposite for her children. And so I was raised to run my mouth. I was raised with this empowerment to speak my truth. And over time, I saw where it wasn't welcome, but I started to push through that blockage. And then that allowed me to see how other people could receive my truth and how they felt seen. I've had women tell me, you told my story better than I ever could. And it feels like in my truth telling, it gives others permission to do the same. And that continues to strengthen my faith and my love for healing. I love that. <laughs> Look, you're going to be seen and heard. Okay. Period. LaVon Briggs, as the now woman that you are, what would you have said to your 18-year-old sweet self that's faced with this really huge decision? I am saying to her, I'm going to model for y'all in real time. I want to say, LaVon, at 18, thank you. LaVon, at 19, I am proud of you. LaVon at 31, I see you. God sees you, your ancestors see you, and we love you. And because of each one of you, 
I am a better woman. I am who I am because you did what was best for you. And you are enough, you are loved, and you are unconditionally supported. That's beautiful. What kind of family life do you want now? What are the ways that you speak about it or speak it into existence? You know, one of my beloved ancestors, Lucille Clifton, wrote a poem. And the opening line is, won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? And so I think even though I don't have the stereotypical markers of a family life, I do have loved ones who are friends who've become family. I have become my first beloved and my first soulmate. And so that unlearning, that healing, the therapy, the prayers, the crying, the wailing, the processing, the book writing, all of that is the energy that I'm co-creating with God around my family life. I want us to be happy, okay? I want us to be purposeful and fulfilled. I want us to be healthy mentally and physically. I want us to be wealthy spiritually and financially. I want days, regardless of whether it's a birthday or a holiday or whatever, to be full of joy and fun and beauty and inspiration. And I am conjuring all of that with vision boards and affirmations and a visualization practice. And I'm praying about it with God and my ancestors and the Orishas. And, you know, there's a Zimbabwean proverb that says, when you pray, move your feet. So I tell people, I'm like, if you know somebody who would be good for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let me know. Okay. I slide into DMs. Okay. I'm debating getting back on hinge, child. So all of that is working together to bring that into fruition. (laughs) Absolutely. You have to speak those things. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, baby. Per. And so you watch what you speak, not just Mm -hmm. to people, but over yourself, over your mind, over your body. There's power in that. That's the important part, to speak it and to believe it. And in order to believe it, I have to know that I am worthy enough to receive it. And beloved, I am worthy. Period. (laughs) Yes, you are, LaVon. Thank you so much. Thank you for your story, your courage, your commitment to other sisters knowing and understanding that they're not alone and that there is no shame and there's only love here. Oh, sissy, thank you. Wonderful woman. Amazing human. We'll be right back for offering time. Y'all, it's offering time. But you know, here at Sanctify, we do it a little differently. We try to bring some really great affirming words to offer to you. And we want to make sure that as many of you as possible are seen. We want to thank you for journeying with us through this very delicate conversation. And I want to talk to my sisters who have also received abortion care. I want you to know, beloved, that God is not punishing you for choosing not to carry to term. You knew that you weren't ready to be an excellent mother, and I believe that God honors that. And so I want you to know that if you've had one, I see you. And for others, if you had one and didn't want one, I see you. If you wanted one and didn't have one, 
I see you. If you regret having your abortion, I see you. And if you regret not having an abortion, I see you. All of your stories matter to God. No one knows your story like you and God, but every path is valid and there is hope for healing through it all. Yes. And for women who believe in a woman's right to abortion, but don't believe it's right for them, thank you for providing a model for us because God gave us free will and you are embodying that seamlessly and we really need more people like you. (laughs) And ultimately, abortion is a very delicate topic. It is a decision that I believe is made out of deep love and it's love that's going to help us to continue to walk in grace and compassion and mercy. You hit it right on the head, LaVon. It is love. It is love that is going to help us walk and get through this journey. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today, y'all. Thank you for coming to Sanctified. And please come on back and get Sanctified with us next week and bring a sister friend with you. Mm -hmm. And also, if you have things you want to talk about or things you want us to talk about, email us. Sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. Again, that is sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. And let us know what you want to hear us talk about. And do not forget our sisters, our friends, our fellow lovely women out there. As LaVon always says, you are worthy. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.